Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. Hi, you're listening to Great Women in Compliance on the Compliance Podcast Network with Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine. Today, I'm speaking with Joya Williams, who has built a career in the compliance field. Joya is built in Houston, based in Houston, and in her career, she has had a front row seat to watch a few of the most significant compliance breaches and scandals. One of the reasons I'm so happy that Joya has joined us on the podcast is that she is someone who is both committed to ethics and compliance and has also been a local leader in her community in Houston, Texas. Joya has also continually worked to build her skill set and grow her career, while at the same time acting as a mentor and an advocate for others. And as part of Great Women in Compliance's commitment to social justice and diversity, Mary and I could not have a better guest to end February, which is Black History Month. Joya, thank you so much for being here. And thank you, Lisa and Mary, for having me. This is such a wonderful opportunity. We are so excited. So let's just get started. Can you talk a little bit about your accidental journey, as you call it, into compliance and how you decided to make it your career? Absolutely. I started my legal career in the law firm uh, quite a few years ago. And after my divorce, I needed a career in legal that would afford me work-life balance. So I accepted a job uh, with Enron Corporation in their legal department. Uh, After the fall of Enron in 2001, I went to work for Baker Hughes in the litigation department. Soon after I joined Baker Hughes, uh, they were charged by the SEC with foreign bribery, and they brought in uh, Jay Martin, who I call the father of compliance, and also a team of compliance lawyers. So I was recruited to work with them uh, and work in litigation. Now, I have to confess, Lisa, I was kicking and screaming because I knew nothing, absolutely nothing about compliance and had no desire uh, to uh, take on that responsibility. And I was, you know, to be honest, I was quite comfortable already in my role. But soon after working with Jay Martin and the team of lawyers um, and learning the importance of ethics and compliance and drafting policies and uh, learning about the code of conduct and, and the importance of policies in place to potentially prevent what happened to me at Enron, as well as so many other uh, others, that created a passion within me for ethics and compliance. Yeah, I mean, when we first talked, I remember I um, was at a law firm that was dealing with Enron after um, you know, some of the scandal and through the bankruptcy and other things. But in your life, you seem to have witnessed that that scandal and in and, and Enron in 2001 and then the Gulf oil spill in 2016. You know, as a compliance professional, I mean, I feel like you were you had that front row. And can you talk about what you saw and what you thought as those were playing out and if there was, you know, things you saw in common? Absolutely. Uh, what I've learned is uh, if there's smoke, there's probably some type of fire that's starting or, or has already started. Um, and people cannot be disregarded when they're planting seeds of, of wrongdoings and, and general conversations 
uh, or open conversations with other employees or with management, or sometimes you may hear things uh, in the in the news media. Um, I recall specifically sitting in an Enron employee meeting and being told by the executives that all is well, everything is fine, uh, when in actuality it was not. And, and that caused an unfortunate financial impact on families and businesses across the world. And for me, this created a stereotype that the tone at the top may not be always operating in my favor, nor can be trusted. I mean, these are the people that we listen to, we make base our decisions on when we're purchasing stock and investing in companies. And, and then, you know, it was all a lot, basically. You know, and since my experience, I, I'm just now very skeptical of how matters are addressed in meetings by leaderships and executives. I really listen carefully, more carefully, and I pay attention to de details. I pay attention to rumors. Uh, just because now I have that, that fear within me. Uh, Enron has definitely left a scar. And I am fully dedicated as a compliance professional to do all I can to prevent another Enron. Same scenario surrounding the Gulf oil spill. Uh, although there were many avenues for speaking up, people feared retaliation, you know, they ignored signs of improper guidance by their management team in hopes that nothing, you know, was going to go wrong. You know, they people doubted themselves by thinking, well, what if I misunderstood uh, or, or what if I'm wrong or just have the it's not my problem attitude? You know, people have got to learn to speak up, say, no, this is wrong or just re report their concerns to compliance, to management, or call the hotline, or you know, just tell someone and maybe they can speak on your behalf. You know, if, if people would just do these things, and I believe the mishaps around the, the Gulf oil spill may have been prevented. Yeah, I mean, I think it's amazing. And one of the other things, Mary recently, spoke with one of the Theranos whistleblowers, Erica Chung, which really struck me there. But it's, that was another incident where it took the courage, it takes a lot of courage to speak up. And I, I remind people and think about it all of the time. Um, and it, it is, and that is another example to me where the, the more things change, you know, some of them stay the same. And I think you also touched on the point, Theranos, similar to particularly Enron, where people's livelihoods and other things are ruined because some people are so unwilling to do what is right or um, and, and the leadership is too busy trying to kind of protect what mistakes might be made. And I, I, I was wondering, do you see the similarities with Theranos also? Oh, yes, absolutely. You know, the case in Theranos is just another example of why, you know, a strong code of conduct is important to help prevent a situation where one feels the need to be a, to be a whistleblower and, and the difficulties of this decision. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I try really hard to talk about and actually just recently did this with, with leaders and executives and, and anybody, because I think for people, you know, different people consider somebody else their leadership or management. It doesn't need to just be the CEO or a CFO. It's all throughout. So to be able to just say in casual uh, meetings or briefings, I think it's really important 
to say, look, I hope you don't have to do this, but if you have a problem and you don't feel like you're being heard, whether it's from HR or compliance or even me, please reach out to the Speak Up hotline or other ways. I mean, I think that that's a, a, an important thing, um, you know, to, to have people feel that they're encouraged to use that. Because I think like what you were saying earlier about fear of retaliation is, and fear of the unknown and the courage is just huge. So encouragement from leaders, I, I've really been pushing that. Absolutely. And let's change the topic a little because one of the things that you are just really, and how I first got to know about you and hear about you is that just what a strong advocate you are for networking and building a knowledge base in a career. And you have a very local focus. So it was, I know that you have a couple of different initiatives. Um, there's a greater, I'm going to start with the Greater Houston Business Ethics Roundtable. I think it's um, Gerber if I pronounced it correctly. So Correct. tell us a little bit about that because I just think it's a really great group. Thank you. Uh, yes, uh, I'll share about Gerber, uh, Greater Houston Business Ethics Roundtable, also known as Gerber in Houston. Um, this is an ethics and compliance organization that is dedicated to promoting ethical business practices and empowering the next generation. I sit on the board with many of the top compliance professionals here in Houston. Uh, who I can proudly say are just as compassionate about ethics and compliance as I am. We provide scholarships to uh, local colleges, HBU, TSU, U of H, uh, University of St. Thomas, uh, and now South Texas College of Law. Uh, we provide seminars or now webinars um, on hot topics. Uh, in the summertime, we have a uh, members only workshop and we annually recognize a top compliance professional uh, that has really uh, been dedicated to uh, raising awareness and ethics and compliance or has just done a lot for the in the ethics and compliance uh, community. Uh, also Gerber uh, affords an opportunity to connect and network with local professionals, uh, which has been very, very valuable to me in my growth and development opportunities. You know, for me, networking provides this uh, the resource you need when you're you're in a position where, uh, you know, you need to figure something out or you need input from somebody or you need a particular form. Uh, I've been able to uh, reach out to members in Gerber. Um, you know, th that's a, that's a great avenue as well. Just having that has been very very valuable to me as my in my career. Uh, another initiative that I recently participated in was the mission to make South Texas College of Law a leading institution in the compliance space for the Southern US area. Uh, one that's going to meet the needs of our local and national professional community, including JD coursework for students at the school and professional development coursework and certifications to practitioners. I was honored to collaborate with a dynamic, dynamic group of compliance professionals and we designed compliance courses to launch this spring. And this is going to establish the school's commitment to the growing compliance uh, interest that's also in the, uh, in the law schools, which I think will be very, very valuable to the um, compliance uh, organizations, you know, as they go out and work in corporate America or in law firms. It affords them that experience and, 
and learning opportunities. So I'm really excited about that. I think this that was just awesome. That is fabulous. And, you know, as we talk about your building a compliance community, building relationships, um, you know, you've also been impacted by your position was impacted in 2020. And that's got to be not the easiest thing. One of the things that I, I just most admire about you, frankly, is that you've always had this commitment to being a great woman in compliance, regardless of where you are and, you know, what, you know, what you do, not what job you do, it's who you are. Um, and I think, you know, once you figure out or decide what you're doing next, you know, I think that you have such great insight. Like, what advice would you give to management to, to do, you know, to, to help build a better team and help to maintain tone from the top, having seen some of the best and some of the most, uh, those that they'd say might have areas of opportunity? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, I'd like to say that my ideal role uh, would be including two critical things, passion and purpose. I want to work in an environment, Lisa, where my colleagues are just as compassionate about compliance as I am. You know, I've obtained a master's degree in business ethics and compliance and my compliance certification. And I want to work in an ethical environment where people are committed to prevent and detect misconduct on all levels and provide an effective compliance control, you know, effective compliance controls as well. Now, as a ethics and compliance professional, uh, I think we need to create an environment where people feel comfortable speaking up and reporting sooner than later. Uh, I've learned that most people want to have a concrete uh, uh, or hard evidence before they even consider speaking up. However, we need to st stress the importance of how critical it is to come forward when something doesn't feel right, sound right, or has the potential of being wrong. We need to create a comfortable and inviting environment for people to want to come forward. Uh, I believe employees, you know, in addition to the board, they need to, to know stats of investigations uh, to see that the companies are taking action when policies have been violated or are doing uh, something about uh, matters that, where the policies aren't violated, but some type of correct, corrective action is necessary. So employees uh, will know that compliance is listening and things are being taken seriously. Uh, in addition, I think compliance professionals should be afforded the opportunity to obtain compliance certification, uh, continue their education by attending ethics and compliance conferences and webinars uh, so we can stay abreast of the forever changing laws and new regulations and, and, and the compliance culture. Um, corporations and, and private practices should make it a requirement to, re to increase their budgets to afford these opportunities. Yeah, I mean, and also the dollar value that you pay for some of the different opportunities from these from conferences in terms of both networking, the learning, the other things, you can actually help save a lot of money because it's a community of people who are sharing practices that may keep organizations out of trouble as much as growing their professionals. To me, these they seem like win-win type things. It seems like one of those things that the benefits far outweigh what a cost would be for that. And frankly, you know, outweigh some of the other costs that we see um, that are spent that may not be the most logical. But I, to be fair, Joy, I have a little bit of a bias on that because I think that continuing education for ethics and compliance professionals is is really important and worth the rate of return. But then again, 
literally is my passion like yours. So, <laughs> and, you know, with that, one other thing is that I, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we're, we're speaking, um, you know, at the end of February. And first of all, I'd like everybody to know that Joy is doing great after being in Houston all of last week, still warming up. It was a bit stressful. Um, and, uh, uh, so, um, you know, and I wanted to move on to talk a bit about, um, you know, about, I mean, sounds like it was really, you're doing a lot better there right now, but then I also wanted to talk a little bit about this being Black History Month, um, and move oh. on for you to talk about what, um, you know, as a Black woman, you know, some of the things that you see as challenges for you personally, and also how you feel like us in this field can do better in diversity. Um, we can talk about it in the big picture for, you know, in, in related to all genders as well as, um, and for people of color as, as well as for women. Sure. Uh, yes, as a black woman uh, in ethics and compliance, um, I personally see the opportunity, opportunity to connect or just get on the radar with the right people to create diversity as a challenge. Um, and I, I would say uh, through my conversation with others, uh, African-American women and, and, and men as well, uh, they've experienced this as, as well. Uh, it's clear that not all people or organizations recognize that diversity and inclusion are essential aspects of an effective compliance program. I think uh, DNI uh, in the last couple of years uh, has been put on the radar for a lot of corporations. They're developing their DNI programs or creating DNI programs uh, more so. Uh, I recently connected with a new organization, the National Association of Black Compliance and Risk Management Professionals, uh, that was founded in 2019 that's dedicated to the professional development of African American compliance and risk management professionals. And I'm hoping this organization can help close some of these gaps and create opportunity for African-American women professionals in compliance to seat at the table. And Joya, that we love, we love NABCRUB here over at Great Women in Compliance. Um, we've spoken to Jennifer from there. And when we worked on a book, that was one of the organizations that we wanted to donate money to. We think that they're that that it is a fabulous organization and bringing so much good to the profession, not just in terms of professional development, but having the right view on getting all the right people at the at whatever the table is to assess risk. So I just love that you're a part of that as well. I love those connections. Well, thank you. Um, oh my. Yeah. So I just wanted to throw that in there and as, as I know you'll continue talking more about the, the big picture here, so. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, specifically, I don't, I don't see any uh, men or women of color, Lisa, in chief compliance officer roles. I would love to see that change as well. Uh, I also, I don't see many people of color featured on the cover of compliance literature, you know, that I read often uh, and, and I feel that needs to change. I've attended many conferences for years, uh, the SCCE, Converge, local conferences here in Houston and Dallas. And, and I meet African-Americans at, at these conferences and, and they hold high positions in compliance arena, but only appear as attendees, not speakers or on panels, uh, or they're not hosting webinars and seminars. And, 
And we all have agreed that we we need to see this change. Um, and hopefully this will change soon. Uh, I, I do see it getting better and increasing, but I think it needs to to broaden, not just in Houston, but across the compliance globe. Um, we just need to have more diversity in the compliance space. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, it's wider, obviously in the podcast, we talk a lot about gender, but it is you know, having um, global participation, not just US and particularly having, you know, black women, um, you know, that's for us as a women-based podcast and, and, and diversity and people of color uh, you know, doing all of these leadership roles is really important. And I think it's it's incumbent upon all of us to continue doing better with that. Um, and I don't, is there anything else you'd want to share about that? Oh, uh, I would just like to say um, that as an African-American woman, I feel that my participation on this great Women in Compliance pod- podcast is definitely a step in the right direction, especially for promoting the advancement of African-American women in compliance. Uh, it has been an honor and it has been encouraging for me to be able to share my beliefs, my values, and my commitment to ethics and compliance on this podcast. It's my prayer that my thoughts and words shared today uh, will create a, a, a current that will send forth just a ripple of hope towards the advancement and promotion of a more diverse environment in the ethics and compliance community. As I said earlier, um, you know, in order to close the gap uh, and create opportunity in a in uh, as African American professionals, uh, we need to have a seat at the table. And in honor of Black History Month, I want to leave you uh, with one of my favorite quotes from Shirley Chisholm: "If they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair." <laughs> I actually love that quote. Um, Shirley Chisholm is, is a hero and one of mine as well. And I think that that was fabulous. There's nothing I can add to that, but I do want to thank you so much for taking the time with us and sharing your wit and wisdom. And on behalf of Mary and me and the Great Women in Compliance podcast, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.